Finally, if you hear, consider, and believe that God came into this world through the miraculous conception of the Virgin Mary, that the Christ was born into the world through a real birth, he was named Jesus by his parents, that he lived a real human life, died a real human death on the cross, taking our place as a substitute, laid buried in the grave for three days, and eventually, write that down, eventually, God supernaturally rose him from the dead, from the grave, then here's what happens. Your false belief that God should be more concerned with the present moment than any future moment is redeemed. And you realize that God cares intimately about each and every moment, but he ultimately cares and his concern is for the fullest potential in the future And his aim is securing that for you, no matter the cost, even if it requires the sacrifice in the present moment of his own son. Does that make sense? It's the gospel that redeems our false understandings about who God is. So you could say this. God has our greatest good in mind, He is able to affect real change in this world. And he is more concerned about the war than every individual battle. Now, if those things are true, and that's what the gospel teaches us, here's how it changes our assurance in each of the three ways that John talks about in this passage. Assurance in our prayers. How does that truth, the truth taught to us by the gospel, change the way we have assurance in prayers. If we don't believe that God has our greatest good, we are going to be terribly frustrated when he doesn't answer what seems to be a good prayer about a job, about a relationship, about a future good that we know is in line with his will. We question his character. If we do not believe that he can affect change in this world, you know what we do? We stop praying. If we do not believe that he cares more about the future than the present, that he has a sovereign foreknowledge, privileged knowledge, then you know what we do in the moment when he doesn't give us what we ask for? We curse his name because he's withheld something from us that we think is good. So what do we have to do if we find ourselves in this boat? And, And if we're honest, we've all been in this boat when it comes to prayer. If we're in this boat, here's what we have to do. We need to be reassured by the gospel. The gospel reminds us that God has our greatest good in mind. The gospel reminds us that he's capable and willing to act. The gospel reminds us that he's more concerned about our long-term full flourishing than every present moment. Not that he doesn't care, but that he's got something greater for us in store. With renewed assurance, friends, keep praying, keep pleading, Keep crying out to God, and he will hear you. How does this work? In the second case, which is this, in the face of temptation and sin, in the face of real evil. Here's the problem. If we don't know and trust the true gospel, the historical gospel of Jesus, if we do not believe that he's got our greatest good, 
in mind when we face sin and temptation and evil, we will question his character for allowing that to enter into our lives. If we do not believe that he can affect change, we give in to our temptation and it rules over us because we don't think he can act. We don't think he can make it any easier. And if we don't believe that he's sovereign, that he has privileged knowledge of some greater future in mind, then we'll curse his name, we'll become increasingly bitter when again and again it seems that temptation begs us to follow it. When temptation crouches at our door, we'll say, how can God allow this to happen if we don't know the truth of the gospel? So what do we do? I'm doing it three times so you can kind of get the gist. We need to be reassured by the gospel. And the gospel reassures us that Jesus was tempted, that evil pressed in on Jesus more than anyone else in human history, that evil brought Jesus to the cross where he died because of evil men, empowered by evil spirits, took him there. Jesus is not unaware of our temptation He's not unaware that sin crouches at the door. He's not unaware that evil is all around us in this fallen world. The gospel reminds us that. And if we remember the gospel, we will have renewed assurance. We will remain diligent. We will cry out to the Lord for help in our temptation. And we will flee from evil and seek holiness because we are no longer slaves to sin, but we've been set free. Because we know, even though it exists, God has our good in mind. He can help. And he has a future good, even better. And there's even something in allowing evil that couldn't happen unless he allows it to remain. The gospel teaches us that. Finally, assurance in our trials. Here's how this plays out in our trials and tribulations. Friends, You will have trials in this world. I'll say it again. You will face them and they will seem to overtake you and you may or may not have reprieve from them. But they will come. They will come whether you know God or you don't know God. And you might not like the fact that they come And you might feel forgotten by God. You might be angry with him. You might be fed up. You might cry out to him and say, no, no, no. But if you trust and believe the true historical gospel, here's what you'll never do. Because you know he has a greater good in mind for you, you will not question his character, even when the trial befalls you. You will not give up in the midst of the storm because you know that he is capable to move and act in the real world. And you won't curse his name because you know he has privileged knowledge that he is sovereign and that he has a fuller future ahead of you. And I know this in my own life. I know each of these in my own life. That when I'm reassured by the gospel, I have 
what comes upon me in the face of a wave that seems too much to overcome, too much to swim through, that it will crush me beyond getting up again. I know that I have blessed assurance because of the historic gospel. In your bulletins, there's a great quote. I want you to take it and read it at some point, and I'll paraphrase it for you. There are waves in this life that can only happen, or sorry, there are waves in this life, and there is a new kind of life that can only happen if they pour over us. There is something good in our trials, and we know that because of the cross of Christ and the resurrection. You can't have the resurrection without the cross, and there is a new kind of life that is not possible without the trials of this world. I'd be a liar, I'd be a false prophet, I wouldn't be your friend if I told you that what the gospel promises you is prosperity, that you get everything that you pray for regardless of if it's in God's will. I'd be a liar, I'd be a false prophet if I told you that in this life you'll have spiritual bliss, that you'll never struggle with temptation or sin again. I'd be a liar if I told you that you'll have an emotional peace that you'll never hear the whispers of the enemy, that you'll never be drawn into true evil that unsettles you and torments you. I'd be a liar if I told you that in this life, if you have God, you'll have physical tranquility for all of your days, that you'll never feel the fallenness of the world knocking on your door, that you'll never hear bad news on the end of a phone call, that you'll never feel the fallenness of the world in a doctor's diagnosis, that you'll never feel that fallenness rolling off the lips of the nightly newscaster. I'd be a liar if I told you that. But here's what I can tell you. This is what the gospel teaches us, that there's hope. And here's the great thing. If the gospel taught prosperity, if the gospel taught physical tranquility, if the gospel taught emotional bliss and spiritual bliss, here's the problem. 90% of the world would be outside of the reach of the gospel because 90% of the world can never experience the prosperity we can in America. They can never have the physical tranquility that we can. They can never have the emotional and spiritual peace that we are afforded. And so the great news for the rest of the world is that that's not the gospel, That the gospel transcends that. It transcends our unanswered prayer. It transcends our struggles and our temptation. It transcends our battles against real and present darkness, the enemy of God. It transcends everything, every trial, every tribulation. Why? Because it delivers here and now an unrivaled benefit that's better than all those things, and that is blessed assurance God has our greatest good in mind even though we don't often see it he's capable and willing to act in the world in whatever way necessary to secure that good and God's will for our lives is the fullest future possible and he is going to shape our lives to secure that that's the benefit of faith and it's way better than knowing George Clooney (laughs) it's knowing the God of the universe and his son, Jesus Christ. That's my hope, that we have 
blessed assurance no matter what life throws our way when we know the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you give us this great benefit and that it's not some kind of advertisement, that it's not some kind of veneer that you paint over our lives, that we don't have to pretend like we aren't struggling, that we don't have to pretend like we're not going through a trial, that we don't have to pretend that there's answer, unanswered prayers, but that in all of it, we know because of the gospel that you've got something more good in the future, more true in our future, more full in our future, because we know that it's true that you sent your son and he died in our place, but he didn't stay dead, he rose again. That is our blessed assurance that we too will rise from whatever it is that befalls us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, every week we come to the table, the Lord's table, and we remember the true fact of his death and his resurrection And Jesus did this actually the night before he was betrayed, arrested, and eventually taken uh, to, to the cross. And he was standing before his disciples and he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And then he took uh, the cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He said, for as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And that's the assurance that we have, the promise that Christ is coming again. And this time when he comes again, there will be no more trials. There will be no more temptation and sin. There will only be life and life to the full. So when we come to the table, we remember that. We remember that this present struggle is not an eternal struggle. That this present Time is not future time. And so we celebrate that and we, and we come and we ask God to, to cleanse us of our unrighteousness, to help us become the kind of men and women that he's died so that we might become. So if you're trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, come and have fellowship with him at the table. If you're still considering whether or not you want to put your trust in Jesus, whether or not the historical gospel is real and true and that Jesus is who he said he was, that's okay. We're so, that's part of why we exist is to help people consider these truths. So we just say wait and do this when it can be an act of faith in Jesus. So when you're ready, come and you'll break off a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup and you'll eat it, signifying you're uniting yourself with Christ. And then after we've all had a chance to do that and there's gluten-free up here in the front, and there's another station on the side. Uh, We will pass an offering, and offering is a way for us to respond to the gospel. That's why we do it at the end of the service in response to the gospel, because God has given us everything. And we, through our giving back to him, remind ourselves and tell God that we understand that he is the greatest assurance and that we want to give back to his mission in the world. So when you're ready, come have fellowship with Jesus.
I came to uh, 1 John 5, I was not planning to preach a Father's Day message. I thought that would be self-serving. But what I realized as I was preaching it, or sorry, preparing the sermon was this. What I long to be as a father is to give my son blessed assurance. I'll take just any assurance. What I realized is that God, God is our good, good father. Maybe you don't have a great father. Maybe you don't know your father. But you have a father of fathers who is a father the way that fathers are supposed to be. And he gives us a kind of assurance that's greater and grander and more magnificent than anything that we could hope for. It's the great benefit of knowing God as father. So what we're going to do now, uh, it's a little bit different, but I just want to give us a give us time. If, if you uh, need to just spend some time sitting in the sanctuary, thinking about, praying about, asking God to remind you of how he has been a good father in your life, about how he has given you blessed assurance, we're just going to play the great old hymn that you probably are wondering why we didn't play called Blessed Assurance. And it's going to play us out. If you need to just sit and wait on the Lord and pray. We're going to be, uh, I'm going to be up here and somebody else is going to be up here. If you need to just come pray with somebody, everybody else, we can go into the foyer and, and talk. But if you need to just sit and remember the assurance of God, do that now. Don't rush out of here, but spend time with the Father. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day. Is that? 
treasure, you are my key.